Well, that was good. Let's pray. Lord God, I do pray that as we open your word and uh, teach it, that our hearts would be open by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, You would take the scale off some's eyes, some people's eyes, Lord, that they may see you as the only Savior. And they may uh, quickly run to you, Lord. For those in here who are believers, God, may you um, pierce our hearts this morning. And uh, may we truly be people who are humble uh, before you. Don't pass us by, Lord. We need help today. Lord, I pray, God, you would empower me to preach your word. And God, that your Holy Spirit would uh, change our lives with it. And it's your name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us today, we uh, are a church that believes in expositional preaching. So we work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, evidence of that is we are on uh, doing a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and um, we, this will be the ninth sermon out of 1 Corinthians. And we just have made it to chapter 4. Um, so um, hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea about our church. Um, and I just can't help for just a moment. I had a great time talking to Lucas back in the back while ago. And I will say this often until uh, I am no longer here, which I hope is many, many years from now. Um, no amens to that. <laughs> we'll move right on past that. <laughs> anyway, I was just telling Lucas what a thrill it is uh, about a three-year-old church that Lucas and I are not doing very much anymore. Other people are leading congregational prayers. Other men are leading the readings of the Word, um, teaching classes. Ladies were organizing what is an absolute beautiful um, set of tables next door for our, our lunch today. Uh, just good. Um, I know that those of you who are just a handful, um, including uh, me and Lucas and Wayne, and I know Chad Malden was a part of that planting group. We, uh, this was not what we would have thought. Uh, amen, Wayne? There was a few times we gathered up to eat and think, are we going to keep doing this? And the Lord has been so gracious to us. Uh, and um, God's just been good, just been very good. And uh, it's overwhelming uh, for sure. So, but let's preach. First Corinthians chapter 4, if you have been with us for a while, uh, we have been talking about Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, a church that he uh, spent about 18 months in uh, as he planted and preached in this church. He eventually leaves the church uh, to continue his mission work, uh, and we know that Apollos came and preached there. We know most likely that Peter had uh, some involvement in this church, but whatever the case, at some point, Uh, Later, not too much later, he receives word that the church is having all kinds of problems. And one of the things, the main thing they're having problems with that Paul's addressing in the first four chapters is they have decided to elevate human wisdom and human leaders uh, because they are uh, Greeks and they are big on um, orators and people being able to speak well and uh, all the, the things of philosophy, and they just begin to think that was really how you won people to Christ. Uh, that was the important part of their church, uh, who could make a better debate. And they were lining up behind different leaders. Some wanted to follow Paul, some wanted to follow Apollo, some wanted to follow Peter. Uh, and 
uh, Paul, knowing that he, Apollos, and Peter were not different theologically, uh, was very upset with them that they were lining up behind personalities in the church rather than God. And so in the first three chapters, he has just had a scorch earth policy when it came to his addressing of this issue uh, that the Corinthians have found themselves in, uh, and he is not done yet. Uh, chapter 4 awaits. Uh, I entitled it, uh, if you noticed, A Righteous Sarcasm. Uh, I would like for you to know that um, if you think that this sermon is for you to be equipped to go out and perform righteous sarcasm, I would hold <laughs> off on doing that. Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit. You probably will not be when you attempt to do it, and it will probably cause some major problems. Um, but nevertheless, Paul is going to use this as he wraps up his uh, discussion, for the most part, about their division over leaders. And this time in chapter 4, uh, he is going to zero in almost exclusively on human leaders and the elevation of them and the Corinthians' obvious arrogance. So let's read chapter 4, 1 through 17. The holy word of God. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not hereby, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour... We hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have had countless guides in Christ you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere 
in every church. Oh, that may not sound very blistering to you, but I assure you when it reached the the Corinthians in Corinth, they felt blistered by this. This first part where in verse 1, where he describes himself um, as a servant and a steward of Christ and the mysteries of the gospel. Servant, uh, I think I'm cutting out. Am I cutting out? Am I not? Okay. Oh, I guess it's just my mind. <laughs> That's spooky. <laughs> there we go. I, keep, I hear an echo. Uh, But this servant idea, this word servant is a Greek word that's very common in the Gospels and Acts. It's used 19 times in Acts. It is only used by Paul once here. And that word means literally a under rower, which if you can picture those Greek ships, if you can think of a Greek show, you know, where the Greek ship is out and has all of those oars sticking out of the side, you, you kind of get an idea. Uh, this word is describing the slave at the very bottom of the ship who is rowing the ship. That is not exactly the best seat in the house. He is at the very bottom watching the captain up front. The captain is giving orders, and they are rowing, and they are moving the ship and everyone else on the ship with them. So Paul says, that is me and Apollos. That is the ministers. We are the lowest of the low on the bottom of the ship, and it is our job to row the ship and to move the ship as the captain Christ commands us. He then uses a second word to describe him, and that is stewards. And that Greek word literally means a household manager. It is the picture of somebody who is in charge of a home, only in charge because the master has placed them in charge. And, and it has implications that they will be giving an account of how they led these churches. So Paul is once again making sure the Corinthians understand that you should not be arguing about who is better or which leader you should be following because at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all at the very bottom of the ship following Christ and rowing in the direction that he has called us to row. We are slaves. We are servants to our master. By the way, just because I like to remind ourselves of this, that's why I don't want a, if we ever, God willing, if it ever happens and we build a church, that's why I don't want a parking spot at the front. It's not not a picture that we have in the scriptures, is it? The pastor is not, and you're thinking of 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we should be given double honor. That's not the honor that he's talking about. We should not be elevated as leaders in such a way you go, I wish I could go to Jason's church. It's not my church. The last thing you ever want to do is elevate teachers. Can you imagine getting on that ship going, I like that slave right there. That dude is awesome. It's crazy. I am simply a servant and an under rower, and I serve at the pleasure of the captain of the ship. And he can take me out whenever he wants to. And if I ever get into this pulpit and begin to elevate myself, you should take me out. 
because I have forgotten what I am called to do. Well, they are clearly managing the home for the master, and you would ask yourself, well, what are they managing? Well, I think we see it says here that they are managing the mysteries of God. What would be the mysteries of God? Well, if you take the same writer, Paul, and you looked over at Ephesians chapter 3, you would find this. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. If you're a Gentile in here, that is good news. And I bet that's all of us. We are heirs, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We, we don't have to be Jews to be a part of the body of Christ. It's good news. In verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, servant, under rower. I am the least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through Corinth, are you, are you seeing why Paul's irritated? Through the church, through Corinth, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And yes, I know he's speaking to the universal church, but he's also speaking to the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth. That the goal here is that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The mystery of the God. The gospel. The good news that salvation is available for the Gentiles through Christ. And that is good news. And you would ask, I think, what is required then of these servants? How would we grade these servants? How would we measure these stewards of the gospel? Well, Paul addresses that. and He says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And let me tell you, I'm glad it doesn't say that they be found to grow a large church. <laughs> it's not what it says. Paul says, here is how I'm going to be held accountable. Have I been faithful? And if that's the question, then you have to say, faithful to what? Here's what I have to be faithful to. To preach the gospel. And that's why many in our country who stand behind the pulpits are unfaithful. Because they are not proclaiming the gospel. Oh, I want to run off on a tangent. I'm going to resist. 
even though lunch is right next door, which means we can go longer. Amen? I love it. We're saying amen. (laughs) My most important task, the most important task of whoever occupies a teaching role in Sovereign Life Fellowship, the most important thing they can do is to be faithful to the message of the gospel. That is how I'm going to be measured. I'm not measured by how big my church is, although we all measure that. You drive by a bustling church, and what do we think? God is moving there. Or Satan. You know what pastors do? I say it all the time. I want to keep repeating it because you need to know it. When pastors get together at pastors' conferences, you know what we eventually work around to asking other pastors? How big their church is. And if they have a big church, you know what we go? Oh, really? And then if your church is small and they answered first, you try to change the subject. How big is your church? 800. Wow. So have you been married a long time? You, you just got to got to get off that quick because you don't want to go, uh, 85? Because even we feel the pressure to be measured by the success of our church based upon how many people are here. And that has never been a biblical idea. Instead, what is biblical is I am to be measured by how faithful I am to preach the gospel. I am not to be measured by how popular my preaching is or how even how gifted my preaching is. Everyone who preaches well, it's a gift, which means it was given. I am not to be graded by how many books I sell, which is comforting. I don't have any. (laughs) Or in how many converts I might win over or and how many baptisms I may perform. That is not what I am to be judged by, and it is what Paul is making sure the church in Corinth understands, that I am to be judged by my faithfulness to preach the gospel. And as we learn in his letter to Timothy, part of what it means to preach the gospel faithfully is that you live out what you preach. That is how I am to be measured. And you would do you yourself a great deal of good if you were to tell your friends and families and the people you know that may gather with you this Thanksgiving. When they say they go to a great church, you don't go, well, how many are there? Instead, you ask this question. You go to a great church? Yes. Is your pastor faithful to preach the gospel? And if they say yes, ask them for their last eight sermon titles. Because it will be telling of whether or not they are preaching the gospel. This was not the measure that the Corinthians were using. They were judging on an entire different set of standards. And they were all wrong and all sinful. And so Paul says in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but... I am not thereby acquitted, and here's why. It's the Lord who judges me. Here's Paul saying, Paul's saying, you can't be judging me. You guys are fighting and dividing the entire church over which leader to follow, and in doing so, you are destroying the church in Corinth. So forgive me. 
Forgive me if I pass on any of you deciding if I'm doing this correctly. Because you have already demonstrated your inability to be spiritually wise. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Because I know that I'm partial to myself. Amen? I'm doing really well. I can't always see clearly. And Paul says, and just because I can't see a particular sin in my life at this moment does not mean there's not one there. Paul's saying, I can't judge myself correctly, but I know one who can, and it is the Lord. Now, the word judging here, I don't like the way we translate it in the ESV. I'm sure people who did that are much wiser than I. Uh, but in the American word of judgment, we have a different connotation. Uh, the word actually in the Greek means to examine, means to investigate. So Paul's saying, you don't have any ability to come and investigate me, to examine me. It doesn't mean that word to pass final judgment. And so Paul is saying it's a pretty meaningless thing for me, for you guys to investigate me and examine me. And you'll find out in chapter 5 why. Uh, there are some serious sin problems happening right under the noses of the Corinthians and their own church, besides just dividing over leadership. Um, and so, as you will know, when we preach through chapter 5, uh, that sin will be made uh, known, uh, and Paul is going to let them know that he knows about the sin in their church and how they have overlooked it. And if you're getting curious, you could do two things. You can go read chapter 5, which you shouldn't do because I'm preaching out of chapter 4 right now, or you can make plans to attend in January. Amen? Because <laughs> we'll pick this back up after Advent. But Paul says, I cannot even examine myself. I know my own sinfulness, and even in my best attempts to serve God, there is still more than likely, as there is for all of us, some presence of sin mixed into my attempt. I pray every morning on, uh, in a parking lot, Cole's parking lot. I don't have an office anymore that I get to go to, so I go to Cole's. I know, don't know. It's just where I go. It's close to the church. It's empty. And I pray every week that God would give me power to preach the gospel. And I mean that. But I also know that mixed into that is the desire for you to think I preach it well. I know it's there. I know it's there. And so I tell the Lord, I, I know it's there. So push that down and elevate the other. And Paul is saying the same thing. I know. I can't examine myself correctly. Not completely. But I know who will. That is the Lord. So I'll serve you. And I will exhaust myself to move this ship called the church in Corinth. But I will not be examined by you because I know the Lord will do that. And how will he do that? Well, we find that in chapter 5, or verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light. This is like one of those scary passages in the Bible. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And all of us have things that you have hidden in darkness. And will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. If you remember all the way back in chapter 3, we found out there are ways that we can build the church in which will burn up. 
because the truth is going to come out. You can fool a lot of people because no matter how much of a discerning spirit you may have been gifted with, it is not possible to completely see the purposes in someone's heart. We can get glimpses of their purposes, good and bad, but we cannot see them fully. But there is coming a day when the things hidden in darkness will be brought to light. And all the purposes of your heart will be revealed, even in the things that you did for good. And the Lord will make it seen. And only then will we get our commendations. Because things that are done that are good, that are done with a sinful purpose, are bad. And that's many the case myself, and I'm sure you as well. And then in verse 6, Paul says, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Paul is saying again that everything I've been teaching you in this letter, mainly chapter 3 onward, I have been careful, and Apollos and I have been careful, and Peter have been careful how to build the church And be careful, be careful, be careful that you don't use hay and other things that will burn up, but instead precious stones because there's coming a day when it will be tested. Gene Farrell, who pastored in this area forever, would love to say when you were over a major high bridge in Dallas, we would be riding together and he would say, do you know this bridge was built by the lowest bidder? There was a company who said, can't build that bridge for that price. And another company went, we can do it, and we're riding on it. And I thought, oh, my goodness gracious. And how we build Sovereign Life Fellowship is going to be tested one day. That's why in the elder retreat, where a discussion was brought up about having fog machines and lasers... And it was soundly defeated. There were six elders and there were six no votes. And there's nothing necessarily in of that self wrong. But if you think the desire of our church is to make our worship service some kind of an emotional experience where you can feel the presence of God, that will burn up. And what do we think? For 2,000 years they didn't feel God because they didn't have fog machines and lasers? It's dumb. It's not our purpose. It's not our goal. Our goal is to proclaim truth and to sing truth no matter the style. Because truth doesn't burn up. Everything else does. That's not even in the notes. Paul makes sure that they understand not to go beyond what is taught in the Old Testament in reference to humility and honor of those in leadership, because if you go up, if you go beyond that, you're going to be puffed up against one another, which was already happening in Corinth. And then the sarcastic rebuke begins in verse 7. Paul says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul said, how, how, how can you be so puffed up? You act like You have done everything great on your own. You didn't even receive the truth on your own or discover it on your own. The only way you could have discovered it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He spoke through us. And yet you now think you've risen to such a high level that you know how to handle everything. It was given to you. It was a gift. It's not of your own doing. And this is a great biblical principle for us to grasp. You may not hear this often in churches, but I pray you always hear it here. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are the unredeemed celebrated. Nowhere in the Bible are those without Christ celebrated as if they are great or awesome or super. So what does it say about us when we're unredeemed? You should post this on an index card and stick it on your mirror every morning to remind yourself of who you are without Christ. Let me tell you, Romans 5.10, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said that prior to salvation, you were enemies of God. The Bible says. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in Ephesians 2, We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's exciting. That's a celebration. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And why? So that no one may boast. Corinth, Corinthians, why are you boasting? It's a gift. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, walk in them. So here's, here's the description of the unredeemed. Dead, in your trespasses, in your sin, following the world, carrying out the desires of the flesh, children of wrath, and enemies of God. That is who you once were before your redemption. If you're in here right now and you do not know Christ, that is your condition right now. Now, you're an enemy of God, and the wrath of God sits upon you because of your sin. And yes, for those of you in here who are believers, God did love you, but he did not love you because of who you were. He loved you in spite of who you were. You say, well, that's harsh. But you have to understand the Bible never celebrates you. In fact, the Bible makes one thing ultimately clear. 
that you are so great that you needed a savior. That's how great you are. You needed a savior because you cannot save yourself. That's how powerful you are. Unable to do anything without a savior. And God rescues us, not because of us, but because of who God is. The greatest celebration in the theme of the Bible is not man, it is God. It's God. Then we, in Christ, are something. But only because of God. And that's why we celebrate him. And so Paul, knowing and teaching the mystery of the gospel. If you were a Gentile, you were left out. The Jews were miffed that the Gentiles were getting included. Because the Gentiles, they're Gentiles. That's you. And here's the mystery. Jesus came for you too. And knowing this and teaching the mystery of the gospel, he's wanting to get the Corinthians to understand that if this was a gift and you did nothing to get it, and you knew nothing. And all of this had to be revealed to you by God through us, the apostles who planted this church. Then how did you suddenly become so wise? And if they were so wise and if they were so awesome in their faith, then how had they become divided over such stupid things? This is an epic rebuke by Paul, bathed in sarcasm. And it's not over yet. Verse 8, already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich, and without us, you have become kings. I love love what Paul says. I wish you did reign. I wish you guys would go reign so I could at least share in some of your kingdom. For I think that God has exhibited us as as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And Paul is using this sarcasm to highlight the arrogance of the Corinthians who had thought they had arrived. I mean, literally be crazy. It would be crazy for me to take a couple of QB lessons from Tom Brady. I hate that I'm even using Tom Brady as an example because I hate the Patriots. Move right along. But I'm a Cowboy fan, and we hadn't had anything to celebrate in years. So, move right along. Wouldn't it be crazy for me to go get a few QB lessons from Brady, like, for, like, 30 minutes? And then Brady play a game, and, like, during the game, he comes over the sideline, and me go and say, hey, man, let me tell you a few things. Let me teach you a few things. Ready to be like, what? It's like, listen, <laughs> listen, you taught me a half an hour. I got this. I need to tell you a few things you need to learn. And wouldn't that be stupid? Paul, I was with you guys for 18 months. I poured my heart and soul out. It's only been a little while. And now you guys think you got it? Yeah, we got it, Paul. <laughs> you go on down the road and plant a few churches. We'll take care of this one. And Paul's like, you can't even agree on who to follow. You are arrogant beyond imagination. In verse 11, to this present hour, we, the apostles, hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we lay working with our own hands. When reviled, we blast. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And we have become and are still like the scum of the world, 
the refuse of all things. There's so much more we could say about that. But in essence, Paul is showing how in stark contrast they are so different than the Corinthians and how they view themselves. In verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I feel ashamed. (laughs) But Paul says, I didn't write these things to make you ashamed. I wrote them to admonish you for your good. Most of the time when we use sarcasm, I would go ahead and say all the time that we use sarcasm is to stick it in somebody's face. Amen? Right? Like none of you use sarcasm. Any of you ever use sarcasm in an argument with your spouse? How'd that work out? Moved them to godliness, right? No. That's how it works. But Paul, listen to the Holy and Spirit-inspired Paul. Paul says, I'm, I'm using and I'm admonishing you. Here's why. So do you see how crazy your thinking is? How arrogant your thinking is to think that you have arrived. And then in verse 15, for though you have had countless guides in Christ, as demonstrated by the people who had come to the church and teach and taught, you do not have many For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul claims, lays claim to being their spiritual father because he planted and preached and they came to know Christ mainly through Paul. And there are others, obviously, attempting to teach them, but he reminds them of his place in their life. He was first. He was there. He poured his life out into that church for 18 months. And he's saying, Really? Have you already forgotten that? I'm your spiritual father. I was there when you guys were birthed. I started this thing. That should count for something in our discussion. And then in verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Well, Paul seems to think that it counts a lot. And so Paul tells the Corinthians to follow him. And that Greek word there for imitate is where we get our English word mimic. If you, any of you who have children and one of them begins to copy the other one and eventually they say, stop doing that. And the other one says, stop doing that. And it just eventually somebody gets spanked, right? Is that how it goes in your house? Mimic. I want you, I, I do this. I want you to do the same. Now, Paul is not saying which may be where your mind is going. He is not picking sides here. He is not saying, all right, since you can't decide to follow, who to follow? Is it Paul, is it Apollos, or is it Peter? I'm here to tell you, it's me. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, follow faithful teachings. Remember, we have no evidence from the scripture that Paul and Apollos had any doctrinal disagreements, but rather, some just liked or connected better to Apollos. We do believe, some scripture that Apollos spoke better, and so people enjoyed listening to him, and most likely the evidence of the scripture is that Paul wasn't exactly the greatest preacher on the face of the planet. So they liked him better. But these are personality differences, not theological issues. And so imitating Paul, when Paul says, I want you to imitate me, he means imitate what I am talking about right now. Follow what I'm teaching you. And that is to not have these foolish divisions over personalities. And listen, church, it will happen here. I'm doing all this work now. This is all, you know, 
trying to keep things from happening. If God grants us any kind of additional growth, and I pray that he does, but one of the things I will also pray for is that God grants us more and more and more gifted teachers. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to like some better than you like others. And you're like, it's already there, Jason. <laughs> no. And you'll be tempted. If so-and-so's teaching, I'll be there. If, if so-and-so's teaching, I'm not coming. God help us are they teaching the word because if they are be here because that's what the holy spirit uses and so paul is saying don't have these divisions don't and then in verse 17 and that is why i sent you timothy my beloved and faithful child in the lord to remind you of my ways in christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul's message and teaching has been consistent among all the churches. And he's sending Timothy there to remind them of this consistency. Here's what it means to follow Christ. Not here's what it means to follow Paul, or here's what it means to follow Apollos, or here's what it means to follow Peter. What Paul is teaching is what Christ taught. And Paul is saying, I'm going to be consistent. And what I'm sending Timothy there you for is so you may hear that we are consistent in what we are teaching. And this would, as Paul gets ready to wrap up chapter 4, we'll finish up chapter 4 in January after our foundational series. But you'll understand why we... We'll pick up the very end of chapter 4 to go into chapter 5, but uh, these first four chapters would have been difficult for the Corinthians to hear. Many of them were intellectuals. They enjoyed this debate world and this uh, standing up and having these public speeches, and they felt intelligent. And Paul has just blistered them and their intelligence. And his take of righteous sarcasm his rebuke has been strong but it is easy for us to all think that we are something to behold we all have those moments I'm sure you've all had it at work many of you have probably been in your job for a long time and they've hired some new person and three months after they hired them you're in the break room with them and they're telling you about all the problems in the company and how they all need to be fixed. And you're like, what? Or they tell you how to do your job better, right? How many of you have ever had someone promoted over you who had worked less time there? That's exciting, isn't it? We all, we all have this tendency to think that we know best. And if we all just did it my way, everything would run the right way. It's easy for us to look at our own hearts and think that we are better. If you were in our focus class this morning, we saw that and the brother of the prodigal son. Many of us move much quicker to him to remind our father of all the right things we've done while making sure we ignore all the wrong things that we have done. But I can assure you, the only good things 
about us as believers are gifts given to us by Christ. Because if we were left to our own, we would pursue nothing but sin. But God, being rich in his love and his mercy towards us, called us and changed us. We call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so you may say, what is the gospel? This is the gospel. You were born into sin. You, as Paul described in Ephesians, were living your life in your own desires, walking according to what you wanted to walk to and how you wanted to live your life. Even if you were a child when you came to know the Lord, for those of you who have had children, you know how sinful they can be, even at two. <laughs> so we know that. No one had to teach you how to sin. And that sin separated you from a God who is not just holy, but is holy, holy, holy. And there was no way for you to come back to that Father. Because you were objects of wrath. And he loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent Christ to live a life that you could not live, to do the things right that you could never get right, to take your punishment on the cross, to take on your sin, and you could get his righteousness. And for those who put their faith and their trust in his sacrifice, they are made new. And we know that because your life will never be the same again. Not perfect. You're going to fail. But even in your failures, you'll recognize it and you'll move to repentance. People say, well, how do I come to know that God? Is it a magic prayer that I say? Do we all have to sing a certain song? Are there magic words that I repeat in a certain order? And I would say the Bible never teaches any of that. Nowhere. Here's what the Bible instead teaches Repent and believe. And repent means to recognize that the path you're going leads to destruction and to turn around and to pursue Christ. That's repentance. And faith is, I believe Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he would do for me. And I repent and I believe and if that is true, you will be changed. Changed forever. That's the best thing about the good news of Jesus. That we, though undeserving of good news, God has granted it to us anyway because of Christ. And may that truth humble us. And may we, when humbled and reminded of how gracious our Lord and Savior has been to us. That will move us to worship. That'll move us to worship. I have Keith come. We're going to sing and pray for us. Our elders always stay behind. If you're a visitor with us today, uh, we would love for you to join us for uh, a catered um, Thanksgiving banquet next door. Uh, no cost to you. Uh, just come and enjoy that. If you're visiting with us, we want you to there. Uh, you learn a lot more about people that you want to church with when you eat with them. Amen. Come and hang out with us. We'd love for you to be there. Um, let me pray for us.
God would make us a church that never forgets who we are without him. That will lead us to being humble people. Lord Jesus, we do come before you now and we thank you for the gracious gift of the gospel. I'm thankful, Lord, that you did not leave it up to me to earn something or to be better than someone else. Because, God, I would have failed at that. And as would of everyone else in this room. Thank you that even in our sin, God, you loved us. And you sent Christ for us. So, God, I pray for anyone in here who may not know you, Lord, that you would take the scales off their eyes and, God, they would see you for who you are and they would see their own sin and they would recognize their need for a Savior and they would repent and believe. And I pray for the believers in here that we would be um, constantly reminding us of our, reminding ourselves of who we are without you. Maybe, God, in doing that, you would help us your Holy Spirit to be much less boastful about who we are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for changing us. In your name we pray. Amen. Our elders will stay behind. If you ever want to visit with any of our pastors, they'll be here. We'd love to share the gospel with you even more or answer any questions you have. Just worship a little bit with